Well, um, as I start the sermon, you know, speaking of my mom, uh, she put up with a lot of my stuff over the years. Any of you guys have moms that put up with your junk over the years? My mom put up with some late night phone calls from the police unexpectedly with me. Uh, she put up with a whole lot of, uh, man, stuff that uh, I needed some correction in. And one of the things she put up with me was my, uh, my selfishness in gift getting. Uh, I remember some of those early Christmases. She would uh, labor to get me the gifts that I wanted. She would go to Target far early before Target opened, you know, for the certain video game or whatever that I wanted. And then sure enough, uh, you know, come Christmas, I'd just be sitting there like a bum, shaking the clothes, you know, I'm like, this is clothes and not open it and throw it to the side. And this is clothes and throw that to the side. And I remember one, one Christmas, she put all this time in, you know, um, and, and I wasn't young. It was like, you know, I was getting older. It was like last year. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 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 and, and I just remember I like threw this just like pouty tantrum because I didn't get the things I wanted. And I, I just remember how that impacted. And I like had this moment of like, I'm a selfish jerk right now. Uh, and and she, she put up with, with me and including my selfishness. You know, when I was a kid, like all kids, I loved gift getting. Uh, but something I've learned from my mom as I've gotten older is the joy of gift getting. You know, one of the reasons she loved to give us gifts is the joy of seeing us come alive with something we're longing for and hoping for. And I think that's the heart of God. And I've slowly, as an adult, discovered that year by year, that the joy of gift getting or gift giving is even greater than the joy of gift getting. And, you know, in the time we're living in, uh, gift giving and generosity is not necessarily the first descriptor I'd put out, uh, you know, as I look out at our world today, whether it's both sides of the political aisle, whether it's just on the road, you know, there's a whole lot, not a whole lot of grace giving or generosity uh, on the road, right? And I believe the church is called by God to step out, uh, or to stand out in this world by being marked by a spirit of generosity. And that's what we see in the, in the church in Acts chapter 2. So I want to reread this passage that we've been looking at again and again. I actually want to start one verse earlier, verse 41, so you can turn to Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bibles, and we will take a look at that together. Acts chapter 2, the start in verse 41, it says this, those who accepted the message of Jesus were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number, day by day, those who were being saved. What you see in that text 
is a group of people who captured a spirit of generosity. They were selling their possessions. They were giving things up. They were meeting one another's needs with a radical generosity. And I I think two points are important to make just real quick as, as we start. First of all, to understand the context, what was going on here, um, consistently the Jewish people, these were, all, these were, were Jewish uh, believers at the time, uh, they would, they would, thousands of them would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, and it was actually the most often traveled um, celebration and feast because it was good weather, it was an easy time to travel. And so you have thousands and thousands of people traveling in to Jerusalem. So you have all these people who are not from there, who don't have homes, who don't have jobs necessarily because they're temporarily there. And then 3,000 people are added to the church. And you can imagine that many of them we're not from Jerusalem. And so this was a unique and temporary situation, but created an opportunity for radical generosity on the part of the people and the new believers. And I believe that radical generosity of taking out-of-towners in their home, possibly longer term, providing financially, I believe that generosity set the foundation for the early church. Now, secondly, when we hear of you know, selling their property and possessions, they had all things in common. That brings up the question, is this kind of, was this like a form of like mandated communal living, you know, or, or communism or something like that or whatever? And, and I know that all that, all that conversation is loaded right now, you know, so I'm not getting into that. Uh, but what we see is that they actually still had individual possessions in the book of Acts, um, and, and so it wasn't mandated, right? And uh, mandated, whether I'm not talking communism, but just talking in our own lives, if we're mandated to give up our goods and give up our, our, um, our possessions, that doesn't necessarily change our hearts, right? And so what's happening here was people who were choosing because their hearts had been changed to freely give of themselves and freely give of their possessions out of the generosity of their own transformed hearts. So that begs a question, what in the world had gotten into these people, right? What had gotten into these people that you had a community of people, like Acts chapter 4 says, they were so generous there was no need among them. Here you have thousands of people from all over who traveled in, they don't have homes, they don't have places, And yet there was no need among them. Something had gotten into them. And I believe they were generous because they met a generous God. You see, generosity is a result of encountering a generous God. Let me paint it like this. Because, you know, generosity wasn't our idea. It was God's. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and created the world. And when he made Adam and Eve, he said, you can have all of this. You can eat of it. You can drink of it. You can have all of this. And there's just one tree I ask you not to eat of, essentially, for their own protection. What we have, we often focus on that tree, but God was extremely generous to give them all things. We have a generous God. And when they ate of the fruit of that one tree, they, uh, they of course, were separated from God, and God pursued them again and again out of love and compassion and grace and pursuit again and again. And finally, when their hearts weren't changed, God decided to himself 
come to earth and give his life. You see, God doesn't save us because we're good. He's not like, okay, um, you're a good Christian. I'll let you in today. You know, uh, you, you really messed up. You had your shot. You messed up. You're out. You know, that, no, no, no. That's not, that's not how we're saved. Nor is it like some bartering thing. We're like, God, I, I need you to do me a solid right now, because if you get me out of this, then I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life and I'll never sin again. Right? Is that why God saves us? No, no, no. God saves us not because of what we did or didn't do. God saves us because he's generous and because of what he does. Think of it like this. John puts it simply. John 3, 16. For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is generous. Now, this is a blow away. God is so generous, God came to earth and became a human being. That does not compute for our two-pound brains to understand how that works, but God became a human. He stepped into the broken world. I think I've used this analogy before, but the idea of like me becoming a cockroach to save a few people doesn't even scratch the surface. Like God became a human and subjected himself to a broken world. That's, that's incredible, right? And then he gave his life with a brutal death on the cross that we all deserve. But he died for us and paid the price that we deserve for, for the sin of the world. And on the cross, as they're mocking him, he doesn't say, get him, Father, smoke him. <laughs> he says, forgive them. They know not what they do. That in his deepest trial, what comes out of him is generosity. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. You see, when we encounter the heart of a generous God, we start to become generous people. Like if we're to day after day for a year focus on the good news of Jesus, of what he did for us, and we're to start our day by that every day for a year, there's no way we're going to stay stingy. Like if we think about his generosity, we can't stay stingy forever. Now I have stingy tendencies, believe me, right? I'm still very much in process, but we can't stay where we were if we focus on a generous God. And, and um, that is what was going on in these Jewish converts. You see, for people, these, these Jewish people who had their understanding of finding favor with God was obeying the law. This concept that God would give favor by grace was a complete blow away, and it transformed them so much that they allowed no need among them because of their generosity. Now, how does this actually play out in the church? You see, I want to make what I think is an important point in that I believe God is not just in the business of raising up generous individuals, but God is in the business of raising up communities of generosity, of raising up countercultural communities of generosity. You see, the pattern um, 
the pattern as we look out on social media, as we look out in the world around us, the pattern in this world tends to conform us, and sometimes, sadly, in the church, the pattern uh, can, can tend to form us to be self-centered communities of people, right? Look around us. I mean, there's a whole lot of money grabbing going on in the world around us. You want to know why things are getting so polarized? It's because there's money behind uh, things going on on both sides of the spectrum, right? Uh, or look at food industry or advertising. There's a pull of money that we need to make things easier and more convenient for you so you'll buy our stuff and we can get more money. Now again, money is not evil. It's, it's, it's greed that is the root of all evil. But, but what we can get formed, the formational pattern of the world around us often forms us into being self-centered consumers. And that includes me oftentimes. And this just became like really clear for us. Um, my youngest daughter is uh, playing soccer and she, her, her coach's husband died unexpectedly of like double pneumonia, super sad deal. And um, we're out there at, at the next practice and the coach is over here crying and my wife is stepping up to try and coach, and no one's doing anything to like comfort her. And then we put a, hey, can someone bring snacks? No one brings snacks. So this coach whose husband is dying is bringing snacks. And we're like, goodness gracious, I totally have selfish tendencies as well, but come on, people. Let's, uh, her husband just died, right? Uh, we, we, let's step up and be generous, right? I just feel like as a whole, and even sometimes me, we as humanity seem to have like be stepping backwards, you know, of like, come on, you know, like bring a snack. The lady's husband died. She doesn't have to be bringing snacks for the team, right? Now, listen, I'm not entirely judging because I'm totally guilty of looking the other way when I see a need at times, right? But church, that's not how to be how we operate. You see, the Bible calls us, church, to be holy. And what that means is we're called to be set apart. We're called to do things differently. Not pointing a finger at people outside the church, but pointing a finger at ourselves to say, how are we doing at looking like Jesus? How are we doing at being generous? How am I doing as a pastor at being generous? God calls us to be holy. And that includes in how we handle our money, right? So if, if the world tends to form us to be communities of self-centered consumerism, then Jesus wants to form us into communities of radical generosity. Y'all tracking with me? And this is his idea, raising up communities of this. We see it throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, here's just a few ways that we see this. The people of God were to extend hospitality, basically treating foreigners as native-born people. They were to leave the corners of their field not having been reaped so that the poor and the needy could come by and glean out of their field. They were to lend to the poor without interest. This is, this is outside America box stuff. This is raising, God is raising up a community of generosity. In the New Testament, 
It says in Acts 4, there were no needy persons among them. In, the church, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, we see churches with money giving to churches that didn't have money. We see care for the poor and the widow. Jesus said, the, the way you treated the least of these is the way you treat me, right? We see it again and again in the church. And so it's just God's desire to raise up communities of people who are generous, now, one of my first experiences with this, I was a freshman in college, and we were going on this spring break mission trip. I think I told you about it a couple weeks ago. And there was a whole, there's like a, a couple hundred people going, there's hundreds of people going. And so we were like in these little groups of 60, 60 that were kind of going and, and doing different things together. And so um, the night before we left, not everyone had paid um, their, their, um, their due. They hadn't been able to pay everything, not everyone. And so we said, hey, let's not leave here tonight until everyone's trip is paid for. We're leaving the next morning. And so we're believing God. So, so we turn on some worship music and say, God, let's all do what we can to help everyone get on this trip so that there's no need among us. And it was incredible. People were giving above and beyond. People were giving cash. People were writing checks. And after we'd all done what we could, our group of 60 people, we still had like a thousand something dollars left. And so we were praying and we get a knock on the door. And this guy comes, his name is Talmadge, Talmadge Minter. He was a, a father in the church and, and he comes and says, hey, I was praying and I felt like God put on my heart to write a check for this amount. So we look at the check. It's the exact amount that we had left needed to get on this trip. It's a community of generosity. We said, hey, we're all going to do what we can. Some can't pay the way. Some have extra. And then we're all just going to let the Holy Spirit lay uh, amounts or things on our heart. And we're going to do what we can. And as everyone did what they can, God provided supernaturally. I was talking to James in and Jordan Perez this week and just talking about what are some things God's doing and, and, and James and just clearing away said, hey, the thing that's stirring me right now, we're going on a mission trip, you know, they're going on a mission trip in, the, in our discipleship training school and they said the stories of people giving to this trip has absolutely built our faith. And you can just sense a joy in the discipleship school because of the generosity of some resulting in not only provision, but the joy and faith in the church as a whole. And I believe the generosity of some is actually going to pave the way for faith of what God wants to do in this trip. Yeah. And that's the way God works in his church and through his church. You know, I believe, you know, our church, we don't just exist to put on good services and services kind of for, for, for a few of us. But we believe God has called us to be a movement that what happens here extends outside the walls of this church and out there, right? What that means, you know, is that not only God wants to, to, to impact our city and, and plant churches around the world through this church, but what that means of us, like the early church, is that we need to be people who open up our homes and extend our table, like Jameson said. We open up our hearts. We open up our time. We open up our wallets to one another in a hurting world around us. Now, if I'm honest, that's easier said than done. I had to do some extra prayer this week 
before this message, searching my own heart. Uh, and there's a number of things that, that keep us, right, from being generous because there is a, a whole lot pulling, at least in me, I can say, from being generous, and I bet you could join me in that. So just a few things uh, that, that keep us from being generous. One is a, is a culture of individualism. A culture of individualism, right? Now, there's some redemptive pieces to that, but there's some very broken pieces to this thing that often in our, in our country, but even in the church in our country, we hold up as like the ultimate value. And it goes back to what Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, he said, am I my brother's keeper? He should be responsible for himself. Now, there's a partial truth to that. We should all you know, be responsible for ourselves. Um, but the word compassion means to suffer with. God calls us as a Christians to be people that suffer with and step into the pain of others. Number two, a culture of dissatisfaction. Anyone ever feel that before? You get the thing you want, the thing you like, and then you see the next iPhone. And all of a sudden, it ain't good enough what you got in your hand, Right? A culture of dissatisfaction, our culture, our media, our technology is actually built to make us dissatisfied. Like there is a strategy behind how things are made to, to make us discontent. And what dissatisfaction does, dissatisfaction will always distract us from generosity. Dissatisfaction in our soul will distract us from generosity, but rather the soul that's satisfied in God will have the strength to show the generosity of God. Thirdly, a culture of scarcity. A culture of scarcity. That, oh no, if I give this, then what's left for me? And that's like a legit fear. Like that's sometimes on the daily for me at times. You know, I don't know about you. But, but we often leave no room for the five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000, right? And lastly, a culture of immediate gratification. A culture of immediate gratification. Again, we're trained in our technology to have dopamine hits quickly and comp uh, all week long, right? And what that trains us to do is that I need things here on this earth right now for me to be satisfied. But scripture calls us to not store up our treasures on earth, but rather in heaven where, where, where rust cannot tarnish and moth cannot eat, but rather to store up our treasures in heaven. And what that means is that we learn to be people who are not immediately gratified with our money all the time. And I'm like continuing to work this out. This week I had some gifts that I was kind of saving up for a couple of things that I wanted. And I was kind of like, saw something I wanted, and I was like, I'm going to go get that right away. And I just like felt this like check from the Holy Spirit of like, hey, do you even really need that or want? Is, like, is that going to really make you happy? And B, of like, I should maybe ask God if there's anything he wants to do, at least some of this. Now, I believe he's a good dad, and he wants us to have good things. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like dangle things in front of my kids, and I'm like, oh, you should actually give that to the poor, you know? Like, like, we do that as a family, but I also want to give them good gifts, right? But I just like, oh, man, I just so gravitate towards, like, I need that right away quickly. Um, 
And so this is, this is hard stuff for us. There's a reason why Jesus talked about money more than anything else, because it's, it's possibly the thing that gets at our hearts the most quickly. And so what generosity does, though, it's not only one of the main ways we express gratitudes to God, but it is possibly the primary weapon to destroy the demon of self-centeredness in our lives. Let me say that again. I, I believe that, that generosity is probably one of the greatest weapons to destroy the strongholds of self-centeredness in our lives. <clears throat> and so... Um, when we learn to be generous in community, it goes from a place of obligation to celebration together. And so how do we begin to do that? Just three simple things I want to end with, and then we're going to take a minute and reflect here. Uh, how do we begin to be a generous people? And I think ultimately, before I get to my three, three simple things, it takes starting to be generous in practice. Because we can have great sermons, right? But it's in the practice of our theology of what we believe that our soul grows. Not just in knowing the right things, but also applying our knowing in our doing is where our soul grows. For example, for those of you guys who are sports people, we had an 8 a.m. soccer game for my oldest this morning, right? You don't learn to play soccer in a classroom. Like, that might be a component, but it's not like, you finished the soccer class, now go be on the Olympic team. You learn to play soccer on the field by doing soccer. And then you learn as you go. Same thing with giving. Our souls grow into generosity, not by just learning about it in our head, but applying it in our hearts and our actions. Okay? So a few ways we can do that. Number one, being people that give consistently. Being people that give consistently. So, so I believe generosity is both spontaneous and planned. And I believe in many ways it's mostly planned. And in fact, planning our consistent generosity begins to put the training wheels on our heart to teach us to be people that trust God with our money. So here's one little thing we do as a family, right? Because we, we as a family, all five of us, can tend to be pretty selfish, right? So, so we need as, lot, as much help as we can get. So here's something we have for our kids. It's got three different slots. We got spend, which we all like to do. And then we got save or invest, and then we got share or give with other people. So whenever money comes in, we just say, hey, automatically, we acknowledge all this isn't ours. So automatically, we're going to put, and this is what we do with our kids, we put at least 10% to give away, both to the church and possibly beyond that to other people. And sometimes God puts more to give in our kids' hearts. Then we're teaching them about saving and delayed gratification and even investing some, right? So we got, you know, $2 invested in whatever. But uh, so we're learning to save and then spend again, which we all like. And so I, I share this as an example of like, man, this is what my wife and I use in our own hearts. Like we got our own version of this. And, and, and we, and especially maybe me, because my wife is better at generosity than I am. Like, like, I need it spelled out for me because otherwise I just, like, I forget or I make it about me. And so we just, we say, hey, what comes in? We give the first fruits back to God and his people. Um, it's just kind of what we do, and it creates a rhythm of trusting God with our finances and our heart. 
Secondly, a way that we can put this into practice, not just personally, but in community, is communicate openly about our needs. Communicate openly about our needs. What had to happen for Acts chapter 2 to happen is people saying, hey, I don't have food. People saying, hey, I don't have a place to stay tonight. Hey, we need some help in this area in our life. You got, you got 3,000 people out of the church. This is a zoo. You know, like this is, this is crazy. And so they had to systematically say, hey, we need everyone to be honest right now. We got 3,000 people. We're just, what's your name? And what do you need? You know? And, and they had to get systematic and clear, sharing their needs with people. And what they did, they met house to house. So there's no way we could sit in a room with 3,000 people plus and everyone stop and share their needs. They met house to house and they shared their needs with each other. And so that's one of the many reasons we do this thing called life groups. We also do grace groups, our mental health groups as well. These are spaces that become smaller where we can really be known by other people and have our needs known by other people. And the beauty of the body of Christ is that when one is down, someone else is going to be up. And when one is up, someone else might be down. And so we're not as a church, we don't make you give right? We don't shame you if you don't give. We invite you to give, and we invite you to give not only to the church, but we invite you to give to people around you. But what that means is that we learn to be vulnerable with our needs. And that's hard, because we live in a culture that says, if you have a need, that's failure. But we're not trying to replicate success out there. We're trying to look like Jesus, and so what I want to invite you to do in your life groups, like this week, my challenge leaving here is we meet a need in every one of our groups. For some of you, your step of faith is going to be getting in a life group maybe, or maybe receiving the free gift of God's forgiveness today for you for the first time and letting God forgive you and give you gift of eternal life. But for everyone who's in a group or joining a group, we're going to invite you to go to your group and share your need or come ready to give to a need. And then lastly, a way we can kind of put this into practice is to listen eagerly. So talk about giving consistently, communicate openly, and listen eagerly. That's both listening to the needs of the group, but it's also listening to the Holy Spirit. So um, I know a couple kind of ditches that we can get into when we think of giving. One ditch would be legalism. Ah, oh, great, they got a need. That means I got to give. That means, oh dang, you know, I'm not going to be cared for. <clears throat> Over here is, is license, right? If legalism's, I have to, then license is, I don't have to, I'm free in Christ. Praise the Lord, brother, you know? Uh, <laughs> and you are free in Christ, and you don't have to, right? But if that never results in being sacrificially generous, then I have to wonder how free in Christ I am. You know what I'm saying? So in the middle, I believe, is what Jesus modeled for us, is listening to the leadership of the Father. That, okay, I'm giving consistently, but also I want to be willing to give spontaneously. And so a need emerges, and I say, okay, God, what are you saying? Is there 
an amount you're putting them on? Or am I to participate in meeting this need? Or are you going to do it another way? Right? And so being willing to listen. God, I got some money. What's mine? What's yours? What do you want me to keep? What do you want me to give? This is uncomfortable. I don't like to do this all the time. Because I don't want to hear sometimes what's on the other side of me listening. But I never leave hearing and giving fearful and more stingy. There's something when we do it in partnership with God, he grows our hearts through the process and he grows our love for people through the process. Because you see, where your money is, there your heart is also. So when we give to people and things, all of a sudden we start to pray for those people and things. And so God wants to grow our hearts as we don't do it out of legalism or we don't go into license, but we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and partner with God. Because listen, God doesn't need your money. He's doing fine. But God wants your heart. And he wants you to partner with him in extending his kingdom and changing lives. He could do it all alone and we'd be just over here. But no, he's like, no, no, no. Sharing an eternal harvest and eternal reward with me. So let's do this together, son. Let's do this together, daughter. That's who he is. And so we want to listen eagerly. Okay. So here's what I want to do. Just take a few seconds and, and for reflection, if I could have the band or some of the band up here just to kind of facilitate a special holy environment with some background music. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, two simple questions you can ask with Jesus. One is, God, what are you doing to me right now with this message? I had to ask this question all week long and say, God, ugh, I see this place of my selfishness, but God, I also see that you're a good, generous father and you've always provided for us in the past. I don't know what God is doing with this message and the truth is intersecting your heart, but I know that God loves you in that space and he's not shaming you in that space, but he's inviting you forward in that space and wants to meet with you there. Because you, like me, are in process here. And so welcome to the club. You can figure it out with me along the way. <clears throat> but secondly, my charge and challenge for us today is for every life group in this church to meet a need in that life group. And so take a minute or two on the first question and then life groups of people out there. Get on the group me, get on the text thread, whatever you do, throw out a need or ask which of you has a need right now let's get practical because love is a verb okay so we'll take just a minute on that again if you're like ah, I feel on the outside looking in I don't have something to do in the life group thing we'd love to help connect you to life group if you want but you could also go meet a need outside the church with someone else you know as well so we'll take just a minute on these questions <clears throat>